Thank you, Brother John. I want us to just pray right now. Father God, we come before you and we recognize you are the God of the nations. That there are no borders for your spirit. That you cross every border, you cross every nation. God, and we just pray right now for this special request. God, that that you would speak to the Armenian believers. God, no matter what flavor or stripe they come from in Christianity, those who call on the name of Jesus, God, that you would move upon them in Jesus' name, that you would even take this challenge that Dr. John gave many of them, God, and that they would be willing to cross the border and to forgive Turkey for the sins that they have come against them. Lord, even on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, would you give that same heartbeat to the Armenian believers? God, would you give that so that forgiveness can flow, so that your power can flow in that region again? And God, we do pray for the Highway 19, God, out of Isaiah 19, that it would be fulfilled in our lifetime and in our day, that every nation would know and every people would know and every language would know and every tribe would know that you are Jesus and they would worship you together as one across Egypt, Assyria, and Israel. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. I want you to know that this has become part of my regular prayer routine And I would love for it to become a part of yours. On Tuesday morning as we pray, we are always carving out a little bit of time for this. And uh, we just want to stand with our brothers and sisters from multiple nations that God would do this. Amen? Amen. Would you open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6? 2 Kings chapter 6. And I know you've been standing and sitting, but if you could just stand one more time. For the reading of God's word, Second Kings chapter 6, in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. You see, this conflict has been going on a lot longer than any of us have been alive. <laughs> the kingdom of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he says, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that's Elisha, by the way, you'll find out in a minute. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Father, may you bless your word today. Spirit, may you come and open up the hearts and minds of every believer and disciple of Jesus Christ to receive your word, to receive the eternal word of God. And may my words be be transformed, God. May our hearts be transformed. May our minds be transformed today as the word of God is preached and taught in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Today, I want to begin a new series. We're going to go through at least a portion of September, maybe the whole of September, about the title called Shift, moving from what was to what will be. How many of you have ever driven a stick shift or, for those of you from the north, a manual transmission? You ever driven a stick shift? 
Were you successful the first time you drove a stick shift? Come on, anybody? There's probably one or two. I, I know Brother Terry is traveling today, but I'm sure he would say he was, yes, because he's a car. I, I'm telling you, uh, there's, there's something about a stick shift. But how many of you know, once you get to know truly how to drive a stick shift, isn't it so much more fun than those automatics? Some of you have been with me long enough to know that I had a, um, a midlife crisis. I didn't wait till my 50s to hit it. I waited till my 40s. And a few years ago, I bought a uh, 2009 Mustang California Special that had a stick shift. And that thing was fun, and it lasted. It was all of about a year before I realized I'm too old for this. But it was a lot of fun. I'm not too old for that. I found out after I'm 50, I'm not too old. Maybe again one day. But it was an easy stick shift. I mean, it, it was a short throw. I mean, you just, it, it, just, it was just like butter going right in with a hot knife. It just pushed right in. And I tell you, you could have a lot of fun until, until you hit DFW traffic. Until you're on one of those rare hills in the Metroplex, and then you got to stop and shift back up. And, you know, it's not always easy, but, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that when you're shifting gears, the reason you shift gears typically is get into a higher speed. You push the clutch, you go into the next gear, and you start going faster. If you don't shift the gears, for those of you that have driven it, and, and those of you that don't, let me tell you what happens. If, if you're in first or second gear and you're going faster and faster and faster and faster, Brother Jerry, what eventually happens if you don't shift gears? You're going to blow an engine, you're going to throw the clutch, or you're going to blow the transmission. Something is going to go wrong if you don't shift gears. When you're learning to shift gears, it doesn't always sound good or feel good. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. In life, I believe that God desires us to move from one level to the next, from glory to glory. In fact, I would say it this way. If you're not a growing Christian, then I doubt your Christianity. Ooh, it got real quiet there. If you're not growing in your Christianity, if you're not growing in your life with God, what are you doing? It's like, it's like my pastor used to say, and, and I can't remember which one. It may have been dad. But I, one of my pastors used to say that, that life is like one of those moving sidewalks. If you're not moving forward, you're going to be going backward. That's just like life. And we have to understand that God has new seasons, has new glories. Until we reach the ultimate glory, we need to be moving from glory to glory. But in those shifting times, in those between the second and third or fourth and fifth gears, it's not always pleasant, nor is it always smooth. But with His power, with the power of the Spirit, we can shift into those new seasons with grace. And over these next few weeks, I want to talk about different shifts, different areas of our life that we need to shift up into the next level. Today, we're going to examine what the Word of God has to say about our sights. Somebody say our sights. Don't say this too fast, but we want to shift our sights. We want to shift our sight from what is seen to what is unseen, from low places to higher places, from what we can see to what God 
can see. I mentioned to our young staff that, that I was going to be doing this sermon series, and I sent them the, the little graphic here, but that's about all I gave them. So I, I had no idea, and Paxton had no idea that, that one of his songs today was going to exactly meet what we talked about. That's just the Holy Ghost, somebody say, amen? So we need, to, we need to move from what we can see to what he sees. And if we can move into those places that God sees, we're going to gain a new perspective. And here in 2 Kings, I can think of no better example than this story of Elisha and the Armenians of Elisha and the king of Israel, and how he would hear what God would say to him, what literally was spoken in the king of Aram's chambers, in his bedroom. He would say things. I mean, how about that? How would you like that if God spoke the secrets that you speak in the bedrooms? It might change the way you talk, huh? (laughs) Some of you are like, well, I know God hears everything I say, but what if he decided to broadcast it through one of his prophets? It might change what we say. It might change who we're gossiping about or if we gossip at all. Come on, somebody. It might change our confession. It might change how we go from negative. Maybe we might be a little bit more positive in what we say about people and places and things. Amen? Even about God himself. We know that it's true, but we got to get it from, and this is a shift we need to take. We'll talk about later on, but we've got to give it from head knowledge into the heart. We got to take it from the cranial into the spirit man. And we've got to get this word of God from here to here. Now, here we see an example in, in verses 8 through 10 of 2 Kings. We see an example of the rhema word of God. Somebody say rhema. The rhema word of God is this. Rhema is a right now word. In other words, it's a word from God spoken in due season. We also like to say in the New Testament, it's called prophecy. Prophecy and rhema go hand in hand. Because a rhema word of God is a is a recognition, and you can even see this in words of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm, I'm I, even as I, we were in prayer, and even as we were in worship, I was hearing some things. And 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 I, and I thought, now, Lord, and He said, No, not yet. So I don't know. Maybe before the end of this, we'll give a few of those. But it's it's a word spoken directly from the throne room of God that lines up with the spoken word of God or the written word of God. It's a divine revelation coming directly from God. And as we see here in 2 Kings chapter 6, that prophecy not only encourages us, but prophecy also warns us of the traps of the enemy. Let me say that again. Prophecy not only encourages us, but prophecy also warns us of the traps of the enemy. I love the prophetic words that come of, oh, God will bless ye, and God will sanctify ye, and God will give ye everything ye want, right? I love those words. Those are fun words. But if our prophecy is only at the level of encouragement, then we can do that simply by opening the Word of God. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good place to start. I tell people if condemnation is coming out of your mouth, it might not be God. (laughs) Because he didn't come to condemn the world. Why should we? And why should we think that he's going to come and condemn through us? Somebody say amen. But there is a warning. There's a warning. I remember this well. I learned this really 
and, and I've tried to remember, and, and, and if, I, if, I, if, if I find in that memory bank somewhere, if the Lord brings it back up to me, I'll come back and tell you. But, but I remember probably my first actual prophetic word through a bona fide prophet was in Missoula, Montana. I was a brand-new youth pastor under the most right Reverend Charles Farina. And Charles Farina was as Pentecostal as they come, but he also had a little bit of that charismaniac thing, I mean charismatic thing going on. And so he took me to a conference in Missoula, Montana, and here is this good old stiff AG boy that had just been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit a few months earlier. So I go to this conference kind of like this. (laughs) Well, God... I know you're speaking to me things, and there's some new things in the Word that I'm learning about, you know, but still, does this guy hold papers? I mean, you know, I was still like right there in that kind of thing. And, and, I, and I go to this conference, and I honestly, maybe Dad remembers, I, I don't remember anything about that conference. Do you remember that? Yeah, see, he doesn't remember either. That's good. I, I don't remember anything about that except when the rhema Word of God came. And I remember that one of the things in those early days of, of just being slammed by the Holy Spirit, I knew one thing, you needed to get to the altar first <laughs> because that's where God was at that moment. And so I got to the altar as quick as I could, and I stood there, and I was just worshiping and praying. And the next thing I know, this prophet who I'll, I don't know his name, one day I will in heaven, he stood before me, and he began to prophesy over me. And I remember that he warned me against the Pharisee spirit. He said, don't get caught up in the politics of religion and trying to advance yourself. My first prophetic word that I remember wasn't a, hey, you're doing great, boy. It's awesome that you're coming into this new, fresh revelation and season of the Word of God and of the Spirit and all of that. It wasn't any of that. It was, you better be careful. Because there is a pharisaical spirit that follows you around and wants to have you. And I knew immediately what the Holy Spirit was saying. How many of you know when there's a true word of God, you know it. There's a, there's a witness in your spirit. And that prophetic word came and that warning came and I knew what the Holy Spirit said. Because before that time, my wife will tell you, my greatest ambition was not to be a missionary. It was not to be a pastor. In fact, I, was, I, I had already said I will never be a senior pastor unless it's planting churches all over the world. But the greatest thing I wanted to do was to become a DYD. There's only a couple of you that knows what a DYD is. It's a district youth director. I wanted to be a district youth director. Chuck, over 500 churches, and all of them having youth pastors. And I wanted to be the one that had the camps and ran all the camps and ran all the retreats and did the speed, the light, and, and, and went all over the, the nation, you know, bringing missionaries their cars. I wanted to be DYD, but it wasn't for the reason of bringing missionaries their cars. It was for the reason that I knew that I would have arrived. I'm being honest with you. I don't know what your thing was, but that was my thing. Pride. And when the Lord spoke to me that day in October in Missoula, Montana, somewhere around 1994, 1995, God warned me. And I said, Lord, my life is yours. Whatever you want, I give it to you. 
You know something? I've never been DYD. <laughs> never held any position in the Assemblies of God except for the last two years as a committeeman, which is like a deacon as part of our section. And I'm happy with that. But every once in a while, trust me, I don't want to be DYD again. But every once in a while, that pharisaical spirit, Brother Jean, at 50 years old, still comes to me. It says, you should do this. You should be that. You should have this. You should have that. And I go back to that warning. And I say, oh, God, my life is in your hands. Do with it whatever you want. Here am I. Send me. Can I tell you, when I was, when I was in Georgia a couple of weeks ago with Dr. John, and I was sitting there among some powerful men and women of God, one woman of God just, I turned 50, she turned 65 with just in a few days of each other. And she's a missionary to Israel. And, and hearing her story and her testimony and the, and the richness of knowing the word and knowing the lands and, and having such wisdom and knowledge and yet so down to earth and loving people. I said, Lord, why am I here? <laughs> they, don't, they don't need me. They don't need me here. Who, who am I? And I'm telling you, when you humble yourself before the Lord, the Lord will bring you up. But when you try to bring yourself up, how many of you know the Lord will bring you down? And I'm privileged and honored to, to be and seated at tables that, I, that, I, that in and of myself I shouldn't be at. But the Lord has, has, has privileged me to be there. And I say, thank you, God, whatever you want, here's my life. But I'm telling you, it didn't begin with a word of encouragement, it began with a word of warning. There are warnings that some of us need to hear in the room today. And I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. If I don't, that's why I don't put series on exact dates, because if we don't get to it all, we won't. But I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord, however you want to do it. And I just want you to say these words. Say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Do what you want with my life. Whatever you want, I am here, Lord. Have your way in me. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we offer our lives. We offer this church. We offer this property, this land, this building. God, the assets, whatever it is, God, it's all yours. God, we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus. I want you to hear what he hears when the Father speaks. I wasn't planning on saying all that, but that's okay. It's the Lord. Look at verse 11. If we go on, we see in verse 11 that it says there, this enraged the king of Aram. <laughs> How many of you know that might make a king mad? He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? He's looking for the spy. He says, none of us, Lord. <laughs> none of us. Of course, they knew they would be dead, so they definitely said it. None of us, my Lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. And this is what the king of Aram said. Go, find out where he is. And the king ordered, so I can send men back to capture him. We'll see how that works out. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. 
They went by night and surrounded the city. We'll come back to the rest of the story in a minute. I want to tell you something. The king of Aram had to search out where Elisha was. He had to send out runners. He had to send out his own spies just to find out where Elisha was. But Elisha knew they were coming before they ever left the king's chambers. There is something you need to hear. When you know Jesus, you know things others don't. Look at your neighbor right now and say that. That's good. When you know Jesus, you know things others don't. I'm here to tell you, you have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you come into his presence, he will speak things to you if you'll listen. You know things that others don't. Have you ever wondered, man, why in the, I think Dad mentioned in his message today, just sometimes it's like, why do people think that way? Anybody ever watch the news lately? Why do people think that way? How can somebody do that? How can they, I just can't imagine. Why? Because you think differently than the world thinks. You know stuff that the world doesn't know. You've got an inside track. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, 14, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, say that's me, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Now, I want to stop there for a second. Who has known the mind of the Lord that they should instruct him? Do you know that that very verse is found multiple times in the Old Testament? And the, the, the image there in the Old Testament is how can you tell God what to say? How, how can we know what God's thinking? He said that to Job. <laughs> Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You're questioning me now? That was typically the context. But here in the infinite wisdom of God, Paul the Apostle brings forth that verse and says, you've heard it said, who can know the mind of God? Who can know the mind of God? And then he finishes it with saying, but, I love the buts of God, but we have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of the Lord. You have the mind of Christ. You say, how can I know what God's thinking? Because you have the spirit of God within you. Those without the spirit, they can't make a right judgment. They don't know. But those with the spirit of God, hallelujah. We can see, we can know, we have an inside track. We can know things that others don't know. We need to stop going around confessing. I just don't understand. I just don't know. How many times have you said that this week? I just don't understand. I just don't know. Well, in and of yourself, we're right. We don't understand. We don't know. But how many of you know in Christ we can know? We can go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand what's going on. But I want you to give me peace beyond understanding. And if you want to share with me some things, I'm open, Holy Spirit. I don't have to know everything, 
But, Lord, if you want to share with me some things, I'll take it. Amen? Let's keep going here. Verse 14, it says, then he sent horses and chariots. Verse 15, it says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Some of you know the end of this story, but I want you to sit right here for a minute. The servant of the man of God goes out, stretches to go get his coffee and his water for the man of God that he's serving. And as he's rubbing his eyes, he opens them up. And he sees all around the city. Uh-oh. All around Dothan, a huge army encircles them. And he knows immediately they're here for my master which means they're here for me. <laughs> Have you ever felt surrounded by the enemy? Have you ever felt surrounded by fear and doubt and unbelief? Even to the point where it brings upon you that fear and that dread? And you, you can almost feel it and see it and hear it in what the young man says. He says, oh, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. What shall we do? Think about this. He's serving the man of God who has seen the dead raised, who has seen food multiplied, who watched his previous master go up in, in a cloud of smoke and a chariot of fire, who saw the prophets of Baal all fall on the mountain, He's seen all this, and he's heard all these stories, firsthand account. And then he sees the enemy surrounding the city and says, Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? You know, it's not a horrible question. Just maybe put in a different light, it would be better. Oh, God, I see the enemy surrounding me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What what's my what's our next move, God? I don't want to move without your spirit. So what's our next move? That wasn't his the way he was saying it, but that's the way we should say it. You see, this is still a problem for many people today. They feel surrounded by the enemy, by, uh, surrounded by trouble, surrounded by hardship. All they can see is all they can see. All they can feel is all they can feel. They, it's just the stuff that's right there. But 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Somebody say amen to that. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, I want to read this from the message. It says, So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. There's been a song that Pastor Joni's been singing. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. How many of you know every day is a new day of grace? Every day is a new day of his mercies. Every day is a new day of his awesome power in our lives. 
These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and they're gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. Ever. Or as the song says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded by the enemy, but I'm surrounded by you, Lord. Hallelujah. If we keep our eyes on the problems, our faith will follow that gaze. If we keep our eyes on the problems, our faith will follow our gaze. It's, it's, like, it's like a car accident. Come on, it happens all the time. We're like going along, we're happy, we're going to work, we're going to school, we're going to the grocery store, we're going to meet friends, and then all of a sudden you didn't hear it, you didn't have the radio on, you didn't see it in time, you go over a hill and traffic is stopped and there's no way you can get off. And you see in the faint distance some lights, and you think, oh, man, God bless those people, but I hope they move them off the highway as soon as possible. Come on, is anybody being real today? And then you think, if, if people would just stop looking, look, it's not even in our lane. It's, it's across the highway. Why is this side going slow? It's over there, people. And I guess none of you are like me, but I'm like, come on, people, get a move on. Stop looking at the train wreck. Get your focus forward. And then what happens when we come up to the wreck? Oh, we're looking. It's just, I mean, and that's what problems do to us. That's what trials and tribulations, they cause our gaze immediately to go to them as much as we try. And before we get to the problem, we're like, oh, come on. This is easy. Get over yourself. Oh, man. I'm preaching real whether or not you know it right now. And we got to get in those times when those problems and those trials and those tribulations, oh, God, help us to not stare at them. He doesn't say ignore them completely. We recognize them. How many of you know you don't deny the problem? It's there. But we recognize it for what it is, temporary. This to shall pass. Let's go to verse 16 as we finish up. Which means nothing. (laughs) Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us, mm, those who are with us are more than those who are with us them those who are with us are more than those who are with them and elisha prayed O lord open his eyes so that he may see then the lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fires all around elisha i want you to see something here Elijah is considered one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. When you come into and talk to Jewish people, they will talk about Elisha all day long. 
But but did you know, and I think you know this because I've preached it before, that Elisha performed twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Elisha had his widow just like Elijah did, and he ministered and saw her entire fortune restored. I mean, I'm telling you, Elisha, is, is, he's one cool prophet <laughs> in my book. Elijah got one chariot of fire. Elisha got a whole city full of chariots of fire. I mean, here he is, and he says to his servant, he says to the Lord, Lord, open his eyes. Now, you say, but pastor, his eyes were already open. Remember he saw the army right there? Maybe, you know, it's kind of like, like, like a, it's, a, it's like a lens peeled back. And all of a sudden you can see. I've never had cataracts, so I've never had cataract surgery, but I've heard from those that have had cataract surgery that it's like that, that before it's like fuzzy. You know, you see, but you're seen through a glass, as Paul says, dimly, darkly. It's, it's messy. There's, there's spots or there's a haze there. But then when the cataract surgeon takes that off and within just a few minutes of opening your eyes, clarity. Clarity. The problem's still there. The army's still there. But now the servant's eyes are opened. Elisha, like his teacher Elijah, saw things that others didn't. Elisha, like his teacher Elijah, was a man of prayer. And what was it that opened the servant's eyes? It was faith-filled prayer. Elijah's faith-filled prayer opened up the servant's eyes and he could see the chariots of fire. Can I tell you that prayer moves our attention from the problems to the solution? Prayer moves our gaze from the enemy to the conqueror. Prayer moves our perspective from the temporal to the eternal. Prayer moves our focus from ourselves to others. Tell you, when you get together, especially with the people of God, and start to pray, and maybe you're praying about your problems, maybe you're praying about what's going on with you, but before long, if you're with some faith-filled people, it's going to turn into praying for the world. It's going to turn into praying for the president. It's going to turn into praying for your neighbors. Why? Because that's what God does in our prayer time. He begins to move us. It's a spiritual principle. He moves our gaze. He moves our focus. Does he want us to pray about things that are going on in our lives? Of course, he commands it. But don't be surprised when he begins to move off of your problem and begins to move to others. That's just what prayer does. Prayer moved Elisha's servant to look beyond the city to the mountainside from an up-close view to a broad view. And as we go on to verse 18, it says, As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. <laughs> he led them to Samaria. Prayer opened the eyes of the blind and blinded the eyes of the seeing. Do you not find that interesting there? When you read that, 
It's like, wait a minute. Those who think they are enlightened are now the blindest of all. Going back to 2 Corinthians, it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this light that shines in our heart. So, Pastor, how do we shift our sight? Three quick ways. First of all, the written word of God. Please say the written word of God. The written word of God will shift our sight. The Bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet. And what, church? A light unto my path. The written word of God, when you read it, as you consume it, as you devour it, will begin to illuminate things, will begin to light a path to you, will begin to take you to places like you've never been before. Secondly, not only the written word of God, but I talked about it earlier, the rhema word of God. Look at somebody and say, the rhema word of God will shift your perspective. Come on, say that. The rhema word of God will shift our perspective. You see, it's the prophetic. I went into that conference thinking, oh, praise God, I'm going to learn some things, and I'm going to get some things, I'm going to, you know, learn. And then God comes and warns me, and it shifted my perspective. And 25 years later, I'm still talking about it. God shifts our perspective. When that rhema word of God comes, and can I just say this, it may come through an individual It may come through a preaching message or a teaching. It may come through Bible study. Or it may come just right into your spirit. Have you ever had that happen? Where God just, you're like, I never thought about that. Well, of course you hadn't because God just put it in your heart. I I didn't see it that way before. That's because God shifted your perspective. He spoke a rhema word, a right now prophetic word to you. Let's begin to ask God, say, God, would you shift our perspective with your prophetic word of God? And then finally, prayer will shift our focus. Faith-filled prayer, spirit-filled prayer, Jesus-filled prayer will shift our focus. That's how you shift your sight. You begin to say, God, would you speak to me? Just ask him right now. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me afresh and anew. Speak to me in this day and this time. For a while, Joni and I would say that I needed to go on missions trips because we needed to hear from God. (laughs) Because it seemed like every time I'd go on a missions trip, It was just like the clarity of God speaking was so precise. And it took me a while to realize what was going on. It wasn't because the mission field was such a powerful thing or there was so much darkness over the United States and so much light in Central America or in Germany. (laughs) Hello? Why? It was because I was shifting my focus. 
instead of being so worried about what was going on and the bills that needed to be paid and this needed to happen and that needed to happen and the demands of this, and I'd go on a mission trip and I wouldn't have all that. I'd be like, hey, I'm here. Woo, what do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, God. Can you imagine living that way on a daily basis? That's my goal. I want to get there. I'm not there yet, I'll be honest. But I'm believing God for a shifting, amen? I'm believing God to take me into that next place of glory where literally every day it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you have for me today? Live life like you're on a missions trip. I want to read one final scripture. It was actually during the first service. The Lord gave this one to me, and I want to read it. Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says this. And, and I know you'll recognize it right off the bat from different versions. I will lift my eyes to the mountains or hills. In the King James Version, it says, From whence cometh my help? In the NIV, it says, Where does my help come from? In the Hebrew there, it's not a statement, it's a question. It's not a statement, it's a question. From whence come my help? Where does my help come from? Does my help come from the mountains? Does my help come from the hills? And I know we've even sung songs about it. Oh, here comes, you know, my help is coming from the hills. I lift my eyes to the hills because that's where my help's coming from. Let me just add this in context for a moment. That's not where David's help was coming from. Why? Because the hills and the mountains were the high places of the other gods. They would place their temples, the Ashtoreth poles, all those things on those high places. And they would look up and they would look. And wherever they were in the town, wherever they were in the village, they could look up to their temple and go, that's where my help comes from. Comes from Baal. Do you remember where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal? It was on the mountaintop. Because they thought, hey, this is the best. We're in the best view. Of course, our God is going to, Baal is going to just call down fire, and this is going to be over in a minute. But how many of you know God is the God of the hills and the valleys? He's the God of the mountains and the lowest places you could be. God is above the hills. Come on. Our help, our Savior is not found in the high places of other gods. We don't look to human philosophy or man-made strengths or to the wealth of the world or to the report of the doctors. Come on, somebody. Our help does not come from those places. Our help comes from the one who created the hills, who created the mountains. Our help comes from above. Our help is in our Savior, our King, our doctor, our lawyer, our soon-coming king. Our God is the one that our help comes from. And that's where our shift needs to happen. Our gaze needs to be affixed upon the one, the one that is coming, the glorious one who saves and heals and delivers and provides and protects and who gives us life. That's where our help comes from. Would you stand for a moment with me? Paxson, would you come to the guitar? Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands for a moment. I'm going to pray the same prayer Elisha prayed. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord. Shift our perspective 
from what we can see in this place and in this earth and in our situation, God, and shift it to you, Lord. We want to see you. Like Moses, we cry. We want to see your glory, Lord. We want to see your glory. Wes and Tina, if you'd come right here. Joe, if you'd come. I hear the Lord speaking and saying, so well pleased with you. You've obeyed me. You've stepped out in faith. You've listened to my word. You're seeking me. You're seeking truth. But the Lord has a warning. He says, do not go back to your former ways. Don't step back into your former thinking because I am the God who sets you free from that way of thinking. The Lord is saying, I'm pleased with you, but I'm warning you now, do not go back. Not even one step. There will be things that you must do from this day forward to protect yourself from that thinking. To change the channel, to change the dial, You've got to protect yourself. And others will say, oh, that's a little extreme. That why don't you do this or do that or listen to this or listen to that. And you don't have to explain yourself to them. But you will know that the Lord has spoken. And he's saying, I'm bringing you to a higher level. And in that higher level, (laughs) I will require more things. Not because I'm a demanding God, but because I'm a loving God who is bringing you out to bring you in. And in your obedience, others will see and know that I am God. And they will see what I've blessed you with. And you will declare the favor and blessing of God to them and be able to stand with strength and honor and integrity. Church, pray. Pray right now. speaking and there's this is not one or two people this is several people under the sound of my voice whether you're watching online or in this room I don't know I know some are in this room but the Lord is saying it's time to put a guard over your mouth it's time to put a guard over your mouth David 
The king of Israel said, create in me a clean heart. Renew your right spirit within me. He said it in repentance. As you put this guard over your mouth, you need to repent of the things that you have said before. I, the Lord God, knows every word that you have spoken out of your mouth. But I will gladly forgive you. I will gladly bring freedom to you. But you need to put a guard over your mouth and ask that the words of life flow out of you instead of words of death, destruction, and gossip. And I hear a warning with that. If you continue in gossip, if you continue in tearing others down through your own words and justifying it, whatever you justify, you buy. When you justify what you say, say, I have a right to say this. I hear the Lord saying this. You don't have a right to tear down what I have created. You don't have a right. That is my right and my right alone, God says. So I will forgive you and I will cleanse your lips. I will take the coal from the altar and cleanse you even now if you ask for forgiveness. If you seek me with all your heart. Put a guard over your mouth. You know, I believe we need to respond to that right now. Let's just respond. God, forgive us for the words we have spoken. God, forgive us for every idle word. Forgive us for every word that has turned against someone else, has, has spoken someone else. Yes, yes, every critical and every judgment, every word of destruction in the name of Jesus, God. Every word of death, every negative confession, even about our own bodies and our own lives. God, we ask for your forgiveness for tearing down even this creation that you created. God, we ask for forgiveness and ask in the name of Jesus that you would put a guard over our mouth. God, so that we could walk in truth and speak truth in love and speak the things of God and confess the goodness of God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think we're about done, but I just really feel like there's another word. Is there another word? Anybody? Just wave at me if you say, yeah, that's me. There's something else. I believe the Lord is speaking. Amen, 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 amen. The glory of God is in this place. We just lift our hands one more time and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Dr. Abraham and Dr. Sheila, I believe the Lord is saying to you that even in this last month, there have been some questions, and you have even said, Lord, What's going on here? But you've not done it in a, in a doubtful way. You've done it in a way of saying, Lord, I'm seeking to understand. And this is a confirmation that the Holy Spirit is saying, you will know in time. <laughs> that you will know in time. And there's coming, 
There's coming a greater anointing and a greater move of his spirit in and through the ministries that God has called you to. He has not called you to give up. He has not called you. And there's even murmuring by some that have said because they moved to America that they're giving up on the ministry. And I just I just break those lies off in the name of Jesus because that is not the truth. And I believe that the Lord is going to replace those lies. He's going to replace them with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more churches are going to be planted in this season than in your previous season. More ministries are going to be birthed in this season than in the previous season. And God will give you specific blueprints and designs for what he's called you to in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We agree with that in Jesus' name. And Brandon, God is saying to you, it is finished. It is done. It is done. Walk in it. Step in to the calling of God. Step in to the fullness because God has said now is the time. It's not a later season for many years from now. I've got things for you, my son, but right now it's time to walk in it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just thank the Lord right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your rhema word. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would open our eyes even this week, that we would see, (laughs) that we would see into the spirit realm what you're doing, God. God, that you would give us a glimpse like you gave the servant. God, that we would see your picture rather than the only, the one that we painted. God, I pray it in the name of Jesus. Before we go, I want to show you this. Wednesday night, we had a prayer time. And it was a church-wide, and we wanted all the kids involved. And I really don't know. Maybe you know who did this, but I don't know who did this. But we had stations and some kids. It's probably one of yours guys. Some kids were going around, and they were painting, or they were coloring pictures, which is what we told them to do. At every prayer station, we asked them. We asked the kids to, to do that. And some child, and it was left on my, on my step. I don't know if that's on purpose, but I believe it is. It's the city of Southlake. They colored the, the trees green. But what's most important about this is this. And this is written in a, I would think, a child's handwriting. You see that blue up at the top? You know what it says? It says, we call forth revival. <laughs> I think we need to agree with this child right now. God, we call forth revival in the city of Southlake. Revival in DFW, God. Revival in this church, God. Revival in the churches in this area, God. We call it forth, Lord. We know it's your promise. We know it's your promise, God. In wrath, remember mercy. God, do it in our day, in our time. Make your kingdom known. Make your will be known. In our ear, we call forth revival, and we pray you would continue to speak even through our children, God, in Jesus' name. God, until we return again on Tuesday morning, Wednesday night, God, next weekend, God, we just pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see you in a powerful way, and that you would move in and through us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody that agrees with that said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. Don't forget to pray for our 1 o'clock service for our French African ministries. God bless you.